You're listening to the highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Pierre Sikolsky. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. As an administrator, you know, for 15 years, I still tried to do science. And I, it was difficult because being a dean, you know, it was a lot of every day there's a problem and every day you have to solve some personal issues and whatever. So it's difficult to concentrate. And what I would do was whenever there was an opportunity to go to a a conference away from the university, particularly in some different country, I would try to go and I would sit in in the conference room listening to these lectures. And you know how it is with meetings. Maybe 10% of the speakers are exciting and interesting and, and the rest are just, you know, you begin to start falling asleep. But what I found is even when I was not listening, because I was, I was in this atmosphere of people talking about physics, my mind was set free and would just start percolating. And all of a sudden, ideas would come, completely unrelated to what the speaker was talking about, except that they were scientific ideas. And I would, you know, jot them down. And I, I found that this was really quite an interesting process because it was kind of like an immersion process where you actually are not concentrating on what's exactly in front of you, Right, you're not, because it's sometimes quite often it's just routine or boring talks, but but it puts you in this I don't know mood if you like or some kind of your brain turns it turns on a different kind of mode, and I think by association other ideas come up, and I've found to somewhat to my surprise that many of my best ideas actually occurred more or less spontaneously when I was in this atmosphere. So it's, it's a you know, completely nonlinear process. And I've, I've read, you know, various accounts of people's creative moments. And I find that very often they're, they have a similarity, you know, I mean, the, the, the somewhat, um, Odd one that always comes to mind is, is Martin Luther, you know, who was famous for having his sort of, sort of deep insights into his religious thoughts sitting in the bathroom because he was, he, <laughs> he was constipated. <laughs> it's almost like you have to have something that forces you away from a linear process of thinking. Because if you just sit there and say, I'm going to solve this problem, how am I going to solve this problem? I find that that's often a very unproductive approach. It's kind of like remembering somebody's name. I mean, you say, I can't remember this person's name. What is the name? The more you think about the name, the less likely it is that you're going to remember it. What you have to do is to think about something completely different. And then suddenly, you know, the name comes up. And so it's, it's that sort of free association that 
that's really important, I think, in, in, in getting creative ideas. But the free association has to be in some kind of context. Yes, I was well, going to say, I mean, you know, different people that I've interviewed, whether, you know, they're writers or different, you know, some people get inspiration from their dreams, which might seem disordered, but can also be a deeply meditative state, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's almost a deep concentration, but you also, but you're relaxed. I think it's a relaxation must be something to do with it because yes, when yes. things are too effortful it's like in fact when things are too effortful mm -hmm. you're looking for an answer say that you already know like you've decided where you're going and if you're still in a state of discovery that you're open then i guess that's when the new ideas come because how can you know what you're looking for exactly I, I, it is fascinating because some people say I am interested in where ideas come from and then at some point, not to think of it, but just to know that that's where they came to you. Um, and you have to take part in it. But it's, uh, I also feel that, as you say, that you are listening to people and maybe they weren't speaking uh, exactly about your discipline. You know, they some, it's another subject entirely. But that inspiration or creativity is also in a way an act of listening or being receptive. So yes. that, that, yeah, this relaxation and things. And then I feel with the arts, you know, I feel like if you look to the natural world or like how even a bird flies, the bird flies not by thinking every, every little, can you imagine? They will fall out of the sky if they have to think about it. <laughs> you know, they will get so, yes. so, at some point we have to, I think movement is very good that movement, these things are happening and we get carried away. It's a, it's a high, it's a different form of, it's a, a form of intelligence. And earlier you spoke of the importance of remaining open curiosity and inter interdisciplinary education. And I wondered if some of your uh, findings, have, have they come from outside your immediate discipline? Have there been things where you've been able to aggregate knowledge from, from other disciplines? And how, how has that worked for you, you know, throughout your career? I think more indirectly, just in terms of modalities, you know, of thinking. You know, I've talked to a lot of people in data science who say that they learned a lot from biology. In fact, one of the people who's, who was a pioneer in this whole uh, web analytics business where they study how many hits you get from where and uh, consult with companies, actually has a PhD in biology. And he said he uses his knowledge of biology much more than his computer knowledge because it's the question of how do you think about a problem? To, Bio, bio, biologists look at systems. You know, they don't start from atomistic principles. You look at you know, how does the system function as, as a larger entity. And so if you think about solving problems in, in data science in the same way, you're going to have a different and maybe more interesting way of solving problems. So I think moving my, my moving from particle physics to cosmic rays, I think was somewhat influenced by the fact that I really always been attracted to more intuitive 
approaches to, to nature. I think when I was very young, I, I read a book by a yogi. His name is Paramahansa Yogananda. It was called the Autobiography of a Yogi. So Paramahansa Yogananda came to the United States and established a yoga school. You know, years later, I reread his biography, and some of what he says in there is a little hard to believe. But it got me interested in this whole idea of the, shall I say, the, the more Asian approach to thinking about nature, whether it's sort of Chinese uh, Tao, Taoistic tradition or the Buddhist approach to, to nature. And there, there actually are some interesting relations between you know, modern physics and the fundamental theories of, of modern physics and what some of these seemingly very different traditions have to say about the underlying structure of, of nature. So I can't put my finger on it specifically, but because I've always had an interest in this, I think I was more ready to make the move from a very rigid kind of science, which is particle physics, to a, a, a much more open science, a broader kind of science it's hard to say i mean science is science of course it's quantitative and you have to be very careful about what you say but i think the emotions are different can be different you know and and different psychological types of people will be drawn to different kinds of science because of the emotional background in that science you know i think maybe that's why when you look at bio biological sciences there are a lot more women traditionally in that field it's more perhaps appealing initially at least but you you, you know it, one shouldn't go very far down this road because if you look at astronomy there are a lot of women in astronomy and so you ask why is that well maybe because is it because astronomy is a little bit like biology i mean you're looking at the organism is now the universe, right? or is it because of an accident, right? The, the accident being you know, the story about Harvard. So before, before the availability of photo photo photographic plates, people used to draw what they saw in the telescope. And then all of a sudden photography became possible. And so there were all these huge numbers of photographs that were taken. And astronomers needed somebody to scan, to look at all these plates and determine where all the stars were, measure these things on these plates. They hired in Harvard a lot of women to do this. Okay, this is quote unquote women's work, you know, tedious, microscopic, sewing, all this kind of stuff. Women are supposed to be good at this. And they were good, okay? They started looking at all these plates. They got interested. They got interested in what they were looking at. Some of them became astronomers, and it mushroomed, right? It was a chain reaction. And so you can, you can trace the fraction, the large number of women in astronomy, basically going back to those days where they were, again, allowed into the field, but only as kind of menial workers. But that was the entry point. So maybe it was an accident, but I, I kind of think that organic... Maybe that's it, you know, cosmic crisis, being part of astrophysics, being part of astronomy, to me is a more organic feel. And that attracts me. 
We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.